The Future Works, a podcast for workforce professionals, hosted by me, Melinda Mack. We've seen our business, the number of people we have out working on a weekly basis drop around 20 to 30% since this has happened. And we've had uh, a lot of success. We've been very, very fortunate right up until COVID. But now we're all working from home remotely, facing this most unusual of circumstances. We've had over 37,000 unemployment claims filed. Compare that to, I think, roughly 1,800 in the prior year. The economy was sort of on the verge of a recession, and it's very clear we're in a recession now. Those are just paychecks that aren't coming anymore. We recorded our first podcast on March 3rd, and it was really meant to capture the excitement and momentum of the Invest in Skills New York campaign. This was just before the COVID-19 crisis hit. At that time, as we were hurrying around the Capitol, having our meetings with legislators, doing what we do best, which is advocating for workforce development, I think all of us in attendance had in the back of our head that something was coming, something was going on. But in reality, we were just making jokes about washing our hands and using hand sanitizer. I think when we look back now, we realize we had no clue what was coming. We had no clue the size and scope and the scale of how we were going to be impacted by COVID-19. Over the last five weeks, all of our lives have changed. The world around us has shifted under our feet as we've sort of sat and watched the news every night. In New York in particular, we're acutely aware of the devastation and the impact of COVID-19. I'm recording this today from my kitchen table. It's April 13th. I just finished watching our governor do his daily press conference and to hear him speak of the 10,000 New Yorkers who have already died and putting it in perspective and sharing that it's really five times what we experienced on 9-11, it's just devastating, it's so sad. And in addition to that, we have almost 200,000 cases and countless others who have not been tested, knowing that this is widespread across our state and impacting our daily lives on a regular. We've heard from our workforce members, our provider community. Many of them are directly dealing with this crisis as staff members are sick, staff members are passing away. And NIATEP hasn't been immune either. We've had staff members who have also been dealing with the impacts of COVID-19 and have been directly affected by the devastation. It's really hard at this moment in time to look past this and into the future and to think about what the next step is gonna be. But what we know is when we look outside of this bubble we're in right now, New York will recover. We're resilient. Just like 9-11 and Hurricane Sandy, New Yorkers are tough, as the governor likes to say. And in reality, we have the tools at our disposal to make this economic recovery something that they write about in history books. So as we take on this next wave of fighting COVID-19, as we've overcome these health crises, what we know the next step is gonna be getting people back to work, getting New Yorkers back into good, stable employment, and more importantly, making sure that we can adjust to the widespread impacts that COVID-19 has already put on our labor market. 
to just give you a sense of what's happening. Just in this past week, when the US Department of Labor issued numbers, on April 4th, they shared that 6.6 .6 million people have filed for unemployment insurance nationally, which when you think about it, is an absolutely insane number. In New York, close to 800,000 workers have filed for UI since COVID-19 has come into play. And our State Department of Labor, just like many across the country, have been struggling to keep up with the volume of claims. The website's been crashing, folks have been unable to get through on the lines, and the state just recently, as early as last week, has put a new process in place to be able to address the volume of workers who are coming in needing to get benefits. Just to provide some stark contrast, when we did our first advocacy day on March 3rd, just a few weeks ago, weekly jobless claims were at historic lows nationally. They were hovering around 200,000. It's just astonishing. It's insane when you think about the scale and scope. But we also know these are real people. These are real people whose lives and livelihoods have been impacted. As we start to grapple with these massive numbers, we have to understand what these data points even mean. That's what we're hoping to do on today's podcast, and we're bringing in nationally recognized experts and local business leaders who can start to share with you what they're seeing on the ground. So over the last couple of weeks, in addition to dealing with the devastation of this virus, we're also dealing with the rapid public policy making that's been happening at the federal and state levels that are intended to help us curb the spread of the virus. But as you all know, these policies have also had a direct impact on the labor market. We'll kick off today's podcast hearing from two labor market experts, James Parrott from the New School and Laura Schultz from the Rockefeller Institute. Here we go. James Parrott, I'm Director of Economic and Fiscal Policy at the Center for New York City Affairs at the New School. And I've been following the city and the state economy for several decades now. Um, so I've seen a lot, but haven't seen anything like quite like this before. So what is your initial reaction to what you're seeing? I mean, we're a couple of weeks in now to the COVID-19 crisis, yeah. statewide, citywide. Um, how, are, how does it compare to some of the other downturns or interesting blips in the labor market that you've seen in, over the past 20, 30 years? Yeah, this is, uh, this is uh, unprecedented, to put it mildly, and its impact uh, was very sudden and uh, dramatic. I mean, it hit a lot of people in a short period of time. And it looks like this impact is going to continue for the time being. So it will have uh, a profoundly adverse impact on workers' earnings and uh, the economy. And it comes at a time when um, the economy was sort of on the verge of a recession. And it's very clear we're in a recession now. Overall, I mean, the, the scope of this is much greater than, um, than any of those three uh, incidents, 9-11 or the Great Recession of 2008-9 or Sandy's impact. And it's had a much more um, pervasive effect on, on certain industries, on a fair number of industries. Yeah, um, you know, certainly the hospitality sector, uh, restaurants and hotels, but also a lot of retail that's not related to food has been uh, shuttered, a lot of neighborhood services, uh, a lot of parts of the economy, a lot of the arts and entertainment sector, 
you know, performing arts, Broadway was one of the first things that shut down because initially the focus was on large gatherings of 500 people or more. So Broadway announced that it was going to shut down. That spread to, you know, the entire museum sector and a lot of the movie production uh, and television series productions and so on. So it's affected a lot of people in the arts in a very sort of definitive way. So, you know, roughly a you know, if you think, you can think about the the workforce and the economy in sort of three categories right now. There are the essential workers, the healthcare workers and the food workers and so on, who are still at work, the emergency uh, service workers, first responders, uh, still at work enduring, you know, hazardous occupational conditions uh, to be sure, uh, you know, but, but really important uh, life-saving work. Then there's the category of workers who were immediately displaced in hospitality and the arts and so on and retail. Um, and that hits a lot of low wage workers. And again, in industries that are, you know, shut down almost wall to wall. And then there's the there's sort of the, the sector, the third sector that's more white collar, more professional and finance uh, dominated, where, you know, there's a higher incidence of people who can work from home and who are working, uh, like you and I, uh, and who still have jobs and benefits and so on. So we're, we're you know, our lives are uh, turned upside down by what's happened, but our livelihoods on the, you know, the second cat, we're not in the same boat as the second category of workers who have lost their ability to earn and the businesses that employ them or the first responders and the essential workers whose, you know, lives are at risk directly. So it's created an awareness of dramatic um, differences in the workforce in a way that hasn't been associated with any of the previous economic downturns. This is mainly a public health crisis, but with profound economic impacts. Unfortunately, these, you know, many of these jobs are the ones hit hardest by the mandatory shutdowns and the, the shelter in place uh, rules and so on. Um, and a lot of those uh, jobs are in small businesses who are finding it very difficult to hang on in this period of sort of indefinite uncertainty about when the economy is going to come back. The pandemic unemployment assistance program that does provide benefits for the first time to independent contractors and so on, that will continue through the end of the year. You know, hopefully, out of this, there'll be a greater awareness of the need to improve the quality of a lot of low-paid jobs. And that if employers do that, they won't have trouble finding workers will, willing to go back to work. Uh, but, the, but now there's going to be this, uh, this, hopefully, there'll be this added pressure uh, for them to do that. What could work against that is the fact that even after the public health crisis passes, we will likely still be in a recession and labor demand will not be as great as it should be. Unemployment will be higher than what it was in February when it was around 4% or less than 4%. Right, record low. In New York yeah. City, 3.5% in February. So we're not going to, you're not going to return to that. But in the short run, it could be as high as 15 to 20% for both the city and the state. So hopefully the response out of Washington, it will be sufficient in order to enable workers to you know, maintain their situations, to maintain their housing, support their families, 
provide some level of demand and the assistance to small businesses will be timely and sufficient to allow businesses to decide to stay open to, to, to keep their business going once the crisis passes and they can open up uh, so that there will be jobs to go back to. So, you know, it's a very uh, unsettling time in a lot of respects. And we really need sort of enlightened economic leadership at all levels of government. The economy is really about uh, people and how production of goods and services takes place and what that means for the workers who produce those services and goods. We've had Sandy, now this. There will be more Sandy-like events. Hopefully there won't be more pandemic events, but, but we need to have a better functioning infrastructure there. My name is Laura Schultz, and I'm from the Rockefeller Institute of Government. I am Director of Fiscal Analysis and Senior Economist, and in the last uh, few months or so, I've taken on a role to, as Director of the Future of Labor Research Center, where um, we're working with organizations around New York State to really understand um, how labor in New York is going to be different um, in coming decades. So we're taking a look at questions about the gig economy and automation and seeing how that's going to affect workers and organizations and worker organizations in New York State in coming years. So I think it's first important to really think about what is gig work and that is anyone who is self-employed doesn't have a traditional employee-employer relationship. So that's people who are freelance workers, independent contractors, um, temporary employees, uh, many people who work for contract organizations, and it's also a lot of the growing online platform workers. So if you think of down in New York City, um, the theater community, how that's all closed, and that's, those are just paychecks that aren't coming anymore. And the, one of the challenges that we are, is coming to the forefront with the gig economy is if you're not in a traditional employee-employer relationship, you don't have access to traditional employer benefits like health insurance, um, you don't have access to unemployment insurance, you don't have access to sick leave. So not only are these people have the potential to, they've lost their revenue, it also puts health insurance at risk. And until recently, there was a lot of uncertainty about whether or not they would have access to unemployment. Pre-COVID, there was a lot of state governments and legislators exploring how to protect gig workers. And so California had passed AB5 that reclassified workers. New York was looking at that and looking um, to incorporate gig worker protections this year in the budget. Um, and I think before COVID, a lot of those discussions were hypothetical. It was talking about all the benefits of doing gig work um, without talking, with a, a discussion of the downside, but because of the pandemic, we're really seeing what that downside is. One of the challenges with the gig economy is we didn't, we don't really know how big it is. No one's measured it. Well, now as a result of this unemployment, we can actually, will likely be able to see how many gig workers are out there and were impacted, how much income they lost, um, what are gonna be the financial consequences for them. And that's gonna inform that policy moving forward. If you can see where they were vulnerable 
maybe you're going to be able to come up with better, um, better policies and structures to protect them. I want to recap just very briefly the timeline because it's important to help folks understand what exactly has been happening that's led to some of these labor market outcomes. New York had its first confirmed COVID case on March 1st, and very quickly that was followed by the second case on March 3rd. And in DC, the response was just starting to pick up. So on March 7th, the president signed the first COVID response deal, which was relating to the supplemental appropriations to start to fight this disease and this response. Our governor also declared a state of emergency on March 7th. And at that point, we had about 90 cases here in the state. We also know that in rapid succession, New York State was creating policies to help protect New Yorkers and the federal government and Congress were also trying to deal with how they were gonna fund the response efforts. So here in New York, starting really on March 10th, we started to see drastic measures being put in place where there were hotspots like New Rochelle to contain the spread of the virus. We also saw SUNY and CUNY's closed for the remainder of the year, moving to online coursework. And by March 12th, the governor had urged employers to let their staff telework to help delay the spread, as well as really limit large gatherings to make sure that we were starting to flatten the curve here in New York State. And sort of in an unprecedented measure, Broadway in New York City shut down by March 12th. By March 15th, all of New York State schools were closed for a two-week period. And as I'm sure it's like where you are, that has now been extended for us through April 30th and will likely be extended again, we're thinking probably through the rest of the school year. We also started to see the state legislature recognized that we needed to really think about what we were going to do for workers who were impacted. New York State does have paid family sick leave, but the governor pushed for and was successful in getting paid family leave extended due to COVID-19 to really support and protect workers who were having to go out of work because they were infected with COVID-19 or because they had a family member they were caring for who was infected. By March 19th, our governor was really concerned about the spread and was pushing for 75% of non-essential workers to be working from home or teleworking. And by March 20th, the president had signed the CARES Act, which is the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act, which is the $2.2 trillion stimulus package, which bails out the airlines, provides business and nonprofits with loans, as well as those direct payments we're all sort of waiting to receive, which are meant to stimulate the economy. But in addition to that, it expanded pandemic unemployment insurance, making those who are typically ineligible for UI, so part-time workers, people who are gig workers, people who have their own businesses or are self-employed, were now eligible to receive federal unemployment insurance. This is a big deal. By March 20th in our state, all non-essential businesses were closed, and that has now recently been extended through April 30th. So as we're starting to mull over all these data points, as we shared before, we wanted to make sure we were bringing in experts who have been looking at this for decades, but also could provide a little color and commentary on what's happening across our state. There's estimates that we'll be hitting unemployment rates well above the double digits. And while these are bleak economic numbers, it's important that the field understands the impact so we can start to prepare for the workforce response. We didn't just want to focus on the labor market data. We also wanted to hear from those who are working on the ground with businesses every day to hear what the impacts have been so far. Next, we're joined by Andrew Kennedy from the Center for Economic Growth and then David Corrier from Corrier Staffing. 
My name is Andrew Kennedy. I'm the president and CEO of the Center for Economic Growth. Uh, CEG is the Capital Region Economic Development Organization. The Capital Region, as we define it, is the eight counties from uh, Columbia and Green, uh, heading up the 87 corridor to Warren and Washington counties. Uh, so in addition to, to those, we have our four core counties of Albany, Rensselaer, Saratoga, and Schenectady counties to make a total of eight. And you know we are primarily focused on helping attract new businesses to the capital region and helping uh, develop workforce development solutions for the companies within the eight-county uh, capital region of New York State. Obviously, COVID-19 has been impacting different regions of the state differently. What has been your sort of initial reaction? What has been happening? Where have there been job losses? Where have you seen growth or sort of steady state for employers across the region? That's a good question. I think we've all been looking at and reading, you know, the newspaper stories, hearing things about businesses that, you know, have been deemed non-essential uh, and the impact that it's having to both them from their business profitability as well as their ability to keep and maintain their workforce through this time. And I think, you know, we also look at the fact that there are clearly large-scale impacts, you know, just by the number of insurance claims that we see filed in the capital region. And I think one of the stats we looked at over the last month that you know, we've had over 37,000 unemployment claims filed. Compare that to, I think, roughly 1,800 in the prior year. You know, that's nearly 2,000 increase. It's a two, so there are hard hit sectors from you know, the, you know, our hospitality industry, our food services, retail, uh, as well as construction. Uh, you know, that you know, is, you know, is clearly impacting here in the capital region. Uh, and then I think, you know, we, you know, we look at is, you know, the impact it's going to have as you go further west across uh, upstate New York, um, you know, where, you know, their economic, you know, their economic activity has not been as great as the capital region, the Hudson Valley, New York City and Long Island has, you know, in, in the past five years. You know, I think when you look at it, whether or not it's certain types of manufacturing companies, companies that are in the life sciences uh, field, certain critical manufacturing products, as well as the warehousing and distribution sectors, you know, those are the bright spots for the capital region economy. And that's something I think that enabled this region to weather, you know, the storm in addition to its public sector economy. So, you know, specifically companies like Regeneron, companies like General Electric, companies like, you know, uh, Mohawk Paper, Finch Paper that, you know, are providing essential services, essential products, you know, for consumers. And then just given our location of, you know, being within close proximity to, to New York City and Boston, you know, it, you know, it ensures that, you know, we have a strong distribution and logistics network to make some of these companies, you know, you know, the pain of this, you know, this work from home and the, you know, putting New York on pause is, you know, uh, making a little bit more easy for people to, to manage through that. And then more importantly, you know, companies that are continuing to provide critical uh, support for our life science industry, uh, for advanced manufacturing and our national security to ensure that they've got appropriate safety so that they can meet you know, our, our industry needs. Uh, and then doing things that we can help businesses think about pivoting as business begins to operate again and people start going back 
into the offices or are, you know, moving out from beyond, you know, these sort of stay at home orders, you know, where they are positioned for growth, helping them work and think through opportunities for workforce uh, and what they need to be thinking about in order to grow their grow their business. We've talked about this off and on over the last couple of years around this need to shift economic development to not just be about job creation, but also job retention. And it's just interesting to think that this could be the trigger that swings the pendulum to really think about public policy and, and supports around retaining and expanding companies that are here. And it's just, it's interesting to hear you reflect that back. Yeah. And I think that's something, you know, we're seeing as a, you know, as a, as an opportunity, because again, we've got companies in this region that are continuing to, to hire, right. And continuing to need people, especially those that are in the, you know, in the manufacturing, warehousing, food production and potent and, you know, and banking sectors, right. So, you know, com- companies still need to continue to hire, continue to need to provide business services and those are things, you know, that, you know, we want to be be ready for. David Coyer, Coyer Staffing. I'm the co-founder with my wife, Elizabeth. But we're a staffing agency based in Plattsburgh, New York. We serve primarily the Clinton, Essex, and Franklin County region. But we are a staffing agency, generalist in nature, that serves the uh, preponderance of employers here in our region. We've had an amazing growth through uh, when we started uh, back in 2016 to, you know, right up until COVID. It's been, we've had uh, a lot of success. We've been very, very fortunate. But now we're all working from home remotely, facing this most unusual of circumstances. So you're sort of one of the folks that we engage with regularly who is in a very rural area. So and it's a mix of like rural, suburban, and urban, but more rural than, than urban. What was it like for the companies that you work with, work closely with, for you as a small business when the bottom fell out of the labor market due to COVID-19? Well, you know, it happened kind of uniquely, and I think it's specific to our region. Um, Gary Douglas, who heads up our Chamber of Commerce, uh, has been saying for years, you know, we've sort of, we've insulated ourselves in a lot of ways from some of the challenges that some communities may be facing because of the strong relationships that we've had with these international companies that are that oftentimes have uh, headquarters or, or, or large offices up in Montreal, and they want to come across the border, do business in New York State, and ideally do business with entities like New York City and, and other municipalities around our region. So then you look at the Bombardiers, the Nova Buses, and the you know, Schluter Systems, and all of the large manufacturing that happens in and around our region. It was funny because it, like COVID was happening and you could see it sort of impacting communities, but you know, the, certainly the restaurants and hotels and bars immediately impacted in, in a way that you could never really imagine. And so that was the first shoe to drop, if you will. And we have a couple of key clients who um, really wrestled with that and are still wrestling with that whole situation. I mean, it's really, it's unprecedented when you think about, you know, having an outside entity, um, not just the virus, but the government coming to, <clears throat> coming to you and saying, you're not opening up anymore. Like, you're out of business until we sort of figure this thing out. Thankfully, our exposure to Coyer Staffing was a little bit limited. We had some clients in that respect, but many of the companies that we continue to do business with uh, have been deemed essential because of either the products that they make, the industries <laughs> that they serve. We've seen our business 
uh, and the number of people we have out working on a weekly basis dropped around 20 to 30% since this has happened. And we feel really, really fortunate to have it be impacted. I mean, that sounds like a huge drop in any other marketplace that would be devastating. But in this marketplace, we feel fortunate. What do you think the long-term impact is going to be for your, your business customers? So we're seeing, you know, we share as we talk to employers, they're trying to navigate some of their profit losses and what some of the shift in hiring and their hiring practices might look like post-COVID. Are your companies thinking about that yet? Or are they just trying to keep people on the line and manufacturing? Well, you know, the, the initial impact is, I think, the, the number of people that you can have within your warehouse or facility. Um, within a certain square footage, right? Because you have mm-hmm. the uh, social distancing creates additional challenges. You have, you know, the slowing of onboarding day in and day out. You can't have overlapping shifts like you had before. And so I, I was really impressed with how nimble our client companies were in quickly figuring out how to deliver their products that had been deemed essential in this economy while at the same time being very mindful of individuals' concerns and um, just hesitation or, or feelings they may have about, you know, contracting this horrible virus. And yeah, I, I, I've been impressed because I think it's enabled them to keep a large percentage of their people coming. Um, many of them have given them, you know, sort of spot bonuses uh, for every day that they show up sort of thanking them. I don't know if you want to call it hazard pay or whatever, but they haven't really defined it specifically, but just letting people know that, you know, our company would not be successful without you showing up every day. And I say, you know, we want to accept them with open arms. The larger pool that we have that we can share with companies that we can talk to companies about, if you're looking for entry or near entry level employees across a wide spectrum of, of opportunity, um, here's who we have, here's what they want to do, here's where their interests lie. Let's see them work in manufacturing for three or four months. Let's see them work in warehousing. Let's see them work in maybe food service at a healthcare facility. Let's see them work at one of the hotels as they open back up. Um, there's going to be a real thirst for available employees as we come out of this. And we believe that there will be a a real demand for kind of that temporary and temporary to hire employee pool because of the uncertainty that companies will have as far as uh, we need the products to go out. We need the services to be delivered, but we're uncertain as to how many people we can add to our payrolls in a real meaningful way. But let's get people on board to do the work in the short run. So we believe that our ramp, um, this upcoming ramp population, which will graduate in June, uh, those participants, it, it might be the largest pool ever, and it might even be a, a, almost a bubble, maybe a larger pool this year than we might even find next year, um, as long as we're sort of effectively reaching out, letting them know that these opportunities exist. We started recording this podcast last week on April 6th. That was 10 days ago. Today, on April 16th, we're getting reports that over 1.2 million New Yorkers have filed for unemployment insurance. And we're seeing initial estimates coming out of shops like the one that James Parrott runs that New York City could be close to 1.2 million job losses by the end of this month. We truly could be at the brink of seeing double-digit unemployment rates really soon. Additionally, New York had a really sad milestone. With a death toll of surpassing 12,000 people, and we now have nearly a quarter million COVID cases. The curve is flattening, but we aren't out of the woods yet. Everyone we spoke to 
for the podcast and have spoken to in meetings across the state this week, we've all been remarking at just how sudden and significant this crisis is, but also how uncharted this is in terms of even tracking these mass dislocations. And ultimately, there's significant challenges and how we're going to understand the overall impact and the long-term effects. I spoke to a small business owner today, and she shared that she's teetering on the edge of being able to survive. And programs like the Paycheck Protection Program that was part of the CARES Act, it's just not provided the relief, and ultimately the funding is starting to run out. I can only imagine that there are countless other small businesses in hard-hit sectors across our state in retail, restaurants, manufacturing, they're just not gonna make it out of this crisis. So what jobs are we gonna be sending people back to? Hearing directly from businesses who are keeping staff on payroll, who are trying to figure out how to shift and survive, to try to keep their work families and their real families afloat, I can understand why businesses are urging the state and the country to reopen. However, as I shared before, we just can't discount the incredible toll this health crisis has taken and is going to continue to take if we're not methodical about how we keep it at bay and how we reopen in a meaningful and strategic way. Today, Governor Cuomo extended New York's stay-at-home order through May 15th, and we expect that due to the significant impact that COVID's had across our state, New York's going to be slow. It's going to be conscientious about how we reopen. I really liked how Governor Newsom in California likened this. It's like a dimmer switch, right? We slowly turn it on to ease back in, especially if we start to see a rash of infections, we can dim it back down. And I think that that's what we're going to probably be seeing in New York State as well. What we also know is that the CARES Act provided pandemic unemployment assistance through July 31st. And in some cases, max unemployment insurance in New York State, plus the $600 per week that PUA or pandemic unemployment assistance is providing, it's more than some people are making if they are working. We're also hearing that workers are concerned. Should they go back to work? Is it safe? Are they gonna get sick? Are they gonna put their families at risk? These are not small questions that we've got to resolve. The plan for reopening New York, what we do know, it has to include workforce development. It just can't be an afterthought. There are many, many jobs that people will not be able to return to. And ultimately, from what we've heard so far, the workers who are hardest hit are the ones who are barely making it before COVID-19 took hold of our whole lives. Thank you for joining the Future Works podcast. You can download previous episodes at www.niatep.org.